0: All right, great. Hey, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and go to Galatians chapter 6 tonight. Galatians, that's a letter in the New Testament. Uh, The 6th chapter, that's where we're going to be hanging out tonight. Um, This is kind of a one-off sermon we're doing this evening. Uh, We've wrapped up our Rhythm and Ruin series. Uh, If you did not get to see all that, go ahead and jump on Facebook. Or or not Facebook, people aren't on Facebook. Uh, Go on YouTube. I'm talking to old old people. Uh, Right? uh, Go on YouTube or obviously check out our podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, any of that. You can check out that series. Next week, we're going to jump into a new series uh, all about just kind of like the heavy hearts and how we might kind of respond to the heaviest things uh, that we face in life. And so we'll be doing that for six weeks. But tonight, uh, we have something different to jump into. And I just want to share what's on the heart of the leadership of this church with you. Uh, But before we do, uh, I'll mention just for the first and the last time here, uh, baptism is happening after the sermon tonight. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. And baptism is a sign and a symbol that God has done something spectacular in your heart. And that something God has done is he saved you. He's rescued you from sin. He's made you his child. And so I just want to boldly stand here with no ifs, ands, or buts and say, if you are a child of God, if you have received Jesus, but have not been baptized, I want you to be baptized tonight, to do it tonight, to step into this. Um, There is still time. You haven't lost your moment. Um, Who's Harry, Michelle, are you guys over there? So right there, waving their hands. You can just walk right up to them during this sermon uh, and go talk to them. Uh, There's this great phrase in the scripture, and and this phrase is this. You'll see it over and over and over again as you read the Bible. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And and the basic premise behind this voice, behind this idea, is the people of God are the people who hear the voice of God. And the great command that's given to them constantly is if you hear God's voice, don't push it away. Don't push away God. Don't push away his voice. Don't push away what he's saying. And I just wanna simply say to anyone here who's going, you know what, that might be me. I might need to get baptized. I wanna suggest to you that might be the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you. uh, And don't you push away. Don't you harden your heart. I tell my two-year-old daughter, a little toddler girl, this all the time, that she is called to obey all the way and right away, right? I need her to obey all the way and right away. And I wanna ask the same of you toward your heavenly father. You're not in obedience to me, to this church, anything else, but to your heavenly father that you would obey all the way and right away. So again, you can head right over there. We would love to baptize you, but we'd honor um, to step into that process with you. And we will allow for this helicopter to pass by. FBI. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Anyway, a couple months ago. A couple months ago, our our senior pastor, Sean Thornton here um, at the church, if you don't know Pastor Sean, he's our senior pastor, has been for about 12 years, um, started talking to our staff here at the church, and he started talking to us because what he noticed in us and even in himself was this little thing we were doing, and I wonder if you recognize this, we all started to become future predictors during this pandemic, so what really quickly started to happen is it was like April, and we were like, okay, we're kind of past Easter, but surely by summer, things will be back to normal, or, or surely things will open up a little more by the time we hit the fall or surely we'll hit this next season and things will be a little different. And I got to imagine that many of you have done exactly that. You're in college and you went, surely by the fall, I'll be back in school. I'll be back in my dorm. I'll be back on campus. Those of you who work have done this with your work. You've got surely at this point and you start dreaming and planning for what comes next, even though you don't know how to predict it. You hear people all over the media talking about the new normal. They say, okay, after COVID, here's what's going to happen. After COVID, we're never going to gather in big crowds again. After COVID, we're never going to blow on birthday candles again, which might happen, right? But like after COVID, this is going to happen. This is going to be the new normal. And here's the profound thing that, that, that he shared with us, our senior pastors. He's just leading our church and leading our staff through this. Here's what he said. He said, guys, we have to stop speculating about the new normal and start planning for the next normal. He said, we have to stop speculating about this new normal post-COVID. What's going to happen after that when we're past this? Because no one knows what the world is going to look like. But here's what he wanted us to start doing as a church, as a people, as families, as individuals. To begin planning for the next normal. Planning for what comes next in this life. Planning for what comes next in this pandemic. And I found that to be such a useful tool to stop wondering what things are gonna look like in six months or eight months or two years or 10 years, to stop dreaming about some new normal that I can't predict, but rather to be confident in what God has called me to in the next season, in the next normal. Kind of we're in this weird space where we're not like March lockdown. Remember March lockdown? You're like, if I leave my house, I'll die, (laughs) right? Like that was March and April. And then in May, we're like, this is getting old. And by June, we're all like, forget this, right? And and things moved along. And and now we're here. We're kind of in this like, yeah, technically things are still here. But we all feel like we're just kind of over this. Like this is the normal we're in right now. And I actually believe part of the Christian life is being comfortable living and being faithful to God in the next normal rather than dreaming about some new normal that hasn't actually come yet. And that's what I want us to think about tonight. That's what I want us to think about as individuals. And that's what I want to share about as we consider where our church is heading in this next normal. Because here's what I'm convinced of. Um, I am convinced of this, that the next normal is bursting with opportunity. It is bursting with opportunity. But only if you look for it. Like this is what I'm convinced of. In your own life, this is true. That there are are opportunities that are just wildly available to you as a follower of Jesus, as an individual in this world. There are things a hold of you. And if you would look and see the opportunities and grab a hold of them, then it would change your life. It would make you new. It would make you, it would change the entire part of your being. There is opportunity, but only for those who are able to look for it. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about that in your life. I want to talk about the opportunities that are before this church. Uh, I want to talk about the opportunities that we have before us in this next year as individuals and the opportunities we have um, as we go forward as a church. Uh, And so we're going to jump in again. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Galatians um, chapter chapter 6, verse 7. I'm going to speak to Diane real quick. If you can... Figure out the screen thing, uh, but, but we're gonna be in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Again, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have it up here on the screen for you. Um, here is what it says it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So, so, this verse we're gonna look at tonight, these few verses, it begins with this Don't be deceived. And this is a major theme throughout the scriptures. One of the major things in the scriptures is that you would not be deceived by the spiritual realities of this world. In other words, the Bible does not assume that you're always thinking clearly and know the truth and then decide from there. The Bible assumes that from time to time, you are being deceived by the spiritual realities of this world. And here's what Paul is going to say here to the Galatians. Don't be deceived. And then he's going to say this. What, how can we be deceived? God cannot be mocked. Like I think this is a really powerful way of saying Like God knows everything about your life. God knows everything about what you do. Maybe someone came here tonight just to hear this message that God knows every single thing about your life. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you do in private. He knows what you texted on your phone. He knows what you looked at on the internet. He knows the way you've served, the way you've loved, the way you've filled with compassion. He knows everything. Like God cannot be mocked. Like there's no reality in which you're hiding anything from God. And then he goes on to describe this reality where we don't wanna be deceived. We don't wanna be blind to this reality that God can't be mocked. He says, a man reaps what he sows. So let me put it to you this way. Tonight, I want to describe your life in this simple fashion. Your life is this bucket. Congratulations. This is you. This is your life. This is the life God has given you. This one small, tiny little life that the Bible describes as a mist, a breath. It's here in a moment and it's gone. This is your life. And here's what Paul's going to say A man, and when the scriptures say this, it means human beings, reap what they sow. Like in other words, what Paul is going to use here is an agriculture metaphor. And this might be something you miss if you don't read the scriptures carefully. But almost all of the scriptures, when they describe spiritual growth, you growing to be more like Jesus, describes it as if it's a plant, as if it's a tree, as if it's something growing out of the ground. It's not something that just immediately happens, but it's something that happens over time with great care and intentionality. This is how the scriptures describe your life. The scriptures describe your life as this thing that you can plant into and whatever you plant into your life, you will reap out of it. Let let, let me show it to you this way um, with the next verse. It says, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Destruction. So so here's the first way Paul goes with this. He says, this is your life. Whatever you sow into it, whatever seeds you put into this, whatever you decide to throw into this, that's what you're going to reap out of it. And the first thing he describes is the flesh. Those who want to please their flesh, they're going to reap destruction. So like, let me put it to you this way tonight. Uh, I believe there are ways of sowing into your life where you are throwing um, bad seed into your life. We might even say bad weeds, like things that go into your life that have no business being in your life. But here's what Paul is trying to describe. Like there is a way of operating in your life where you take seeds that are gonna grow nothing but weeds, nothing but garbage in your life, and you can sow that into your life. This is what Paul is concerned about. Paul is concerned that you are capable of sowing things that have no business in your life into your life. Paul's concerned that you would be the type of person who sows destruction into your own life. But like, are you aware that, per, that perhaps for some of you, maybe most of you, the most destructive things that will happen to you in your life are, are going to come from what you've sown into your own life? No, no, don't mishear me. I'm not saying everything that's ever bad happened to you is because you sowed, sowed that into your life. That's not what I'm claiming. But I'm claiming that for a majority of us, what tends to happen in our pain is we sow these bad seeds into our life and it reaps us destruction. This is what Paul's talking about here. So maybe there's someone here who is sowing into their life things that have no place in the life of a follower of Jesus. Like you're sowing lust into your life. And so you just look at porn or you look at things you shouldn't be doing. You sleep around with your girlfriend, with your boyfriend, with your, you know, it's hard to define what they are, but we just get together. And you sow that into your life. And here's what the scriptures say you are sowing destruction into your life. Like this is your one life, and you're laying it in there. For some of you, it's alcohol. For some of you, it's drugs. For some of you, it's negativity and anger. For some of you, it's drama. Like some of you have gossip, like, like it's just this thing. You just kind of live in this reality forever. For some of you, it's politics. And I don't mean like you care about politics. I mean like your whole life is wrapped around politics. And so you're always angry at everyone and arguing with everyone. And you're just sowing this into your life, this division, this hatred, this anger. You know what I think happens for some of you? I think some of you have friends you have no business being friends with. I don't mean you shouldn't love them and pray for them and care for them. I just mean you've surrounded yourself with the thing that the Bible calls fools. People who are going to bring you harm. You know, one of the great teachings of the Bible is you don't have to be a fool to be harmed by one. All you have to do is hang out with them enough to sow that into your life, to sow that into your heart, to sow that into your system. Some of you don't hang out with them as friends. Some of you are dating someone. And you're sowing that destruction into your life and you know it's not good for you. And here's what happens. You sow these bad seeds and here's the promise that Paul has in the scripture. You sow this into your life and you will reap destruction. You sow things that have no business into your heart and you will reap destruction. But here's the crazy thing about sowing and reaping. The reason I made a big deal that this is your life and this is the metaphor, that it's a spiritual metaphor and reality uh, of what it means to grow as a plant in Christ. Here's what you need to know. You can throw seeds into a ba- bucket. You can throw seeds into a planter, go to bed, and the next day and come back. And you know what's going to happen? Nothing. Nothing at all. And here's why the Bible's going to use this metaphor. You can make all kinds of sinful, destructive decisions that please your flesh, that make you feel good in the moment, that the Bible commands against and calls wickedness. You can sow that into your life and the next day find nothing. And that is a terrifying thing about the Bible. Like one of the terrifying things about our God is that he might just allow you to sow destruction into your life and see no consequences immediately. If every time you did something bad, there was an immediate consequence, you would stop doing bad things. But here's what's happened for some of you. I'm just gonna speak to someone who knows they have some kind of pattern, some kind of behavior they've been sowing into their life, and yet there's been no consequences. You haven't been caught. No one's called you out. It hasn't sunk your ship yet, and so you just keep sowing into your life. And here's the terrifying thing. Just because you don't see it growing doesn't mean it is isn't. Well, like Just because you don't see the fruit of that doesn't mean what you've sown into your life you won't reap. This is Paul's great promise to you. He says, whoever sows to please their flesh will reap destruction. It's not going to happen overnight. May not even happen in a year. But if you are in a constant habit of sowing things in your life that don't belong there, it will destroy you. But here's how it goes on on the opposite side. It says, whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So if there's these bad seeds, these bad weeds, then there's these good seeds, right? There's these good seeds that we can sow into our life. What it says is people who sow from the Spirit, these are people who sow faith. And you know what happens when you sow faith into your life? You reap salvation. Like the great good news of the Christian faith isn't like you earn your way to God. It's that through faith, you reap salvation that God offers you. And out of that, you reap so much more. So maybe some of you are sowing these things into your life. You become the type of person who says, I'm going to sow Bible reading into my life. You know what happens the day after you read the Bible? Almost nothing. You know what happens after 25 years of you reading the Bible? you have an unshakable faith that can face down anything. That's what happens. You know what happens when you pray once, sometimes? Nothing. You know what happens after two decades of prayer, after two weeks of prayer where you're seeking and fasting and facing God and going, anything I can do to get before you, God. You know what happens after that? You reap God's wisdom. You reap God's clarity. You, You reap the good things of God. You know what happens? I talked about this a few weeks ago. You know what happens most of the time when you go to small group? Some of you started small group this last week. You go to small group and you're like, I went to small group and nothing happens. But here's the promise of the scripture. You can take this home. God's a promise maker and a promise keeper. You sow into that small group. You sow into that life. and know it's gonna happen. Eventually, you're gonna be surrounded by people who love Jesus and encourage you in the right direction. I could go on and on and on about the spiritual practices of fasting and of Sabbath and of being around believers, of coming to church, of showing up at small group, of giving generously. You know what happens when you give generously? This kind of sounds like like a prosperity gospel thing. It's not. It's not like you sow in like five bucks and you'll get 500. That's not how it works. You know what happens though? You sow in five bucks and the next day, you have five less bucks. That's what happens. But you know what happens when you throw in five bucks every week, constantly, over and over again, your life starts to reap the reality where money doesn't control you anymore. Where you're just not owned by the dollar. That just doesn't have power over you anymore. See, that's what your life will reap when you sow. This is what the scriptures are telling us, like this metaphor, this image, this idea of your life being this plant that's growing up. It's only going to grow what you sow into it. And so when I talk about looking at this next year, looking at this next season, in this next normal, and trying to figure out what the opportunities are, the opportunities lie in what you're going to sow. Are you gonna throw bad weed into your life? Are you gonna throw these bad weeds, these bad seeds that are gonna bring things you don't want in your life? Or are you going to throw the things into your life? Are you going to sow the seeds into your life, the things of faith and hope and love and joy in Jesus? That's your opportunity in this next season. The the opportunity before you is the opportunity you've always had before you to sow into your life the things of God, to sow into your life the things that will reap a harvest of righteousness for you. It goes on this way in verse nine. It says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, what's really interesting about this passage. Um, whenever God commands something in the Bible, this is a way to read the Bible. Um, if I read a command in the Bible, I'm always going to assume someone struggled with that at some point, And very likely, I will struggle with that. So even when you're in the Old Testament, you read like a really strange, there's a strange command in the Old Testament that says, do not you know, boil a goat in its mother's milk. And you're like, "What? like, what? And you're like, I don't struggle with that. But here's what I want to know. God didn't have to command it if no one ever struggled with it. And in the ancient world, that was actually a practice of like a cult and witchcraft. We can get into that later. But my point is this that when something is commanded in the Bible, it's because God assumes you'll struggle with it. He assumes the people he's writing to will struggle with it. And you know what God assumes here? Like, God assumes this. God assumes that when we are doing good, when we are sowing into our life these good things of God, when we are being faithful in a difficult season, God assumes we're gonna grow weary. That's why He says, let us not become weary. But like, let's not become weary in doing good. He says, for at the proper time, we'll reach a harvest of righteousness if we do not give up. Like in other words, God assumes you're gonna get weary and God assumes there's gonna be times you wanna give up. Like, isn't that refreshing to someone here who feels weary? Who kind of feels like giving up on Jesus? Who kind of feels like giving up that good fight you've been fighting? Like God's assumption is that you're gonna be weary and wanna give up, so he holds out a promise for you. And the promise is that the other side of your suffering, there is a joy that's worth it. On the other side of your suffering, there is something that is worth it. like what an encouragement, what a perfect way to frame this. It's like everything else in life right now that's worth it, right? Like if you're in college, raise your hand if you're in college or grad school right now. Okay, college, grad school, many, many, many of you. Um, I I wanna put it this way. Um, Like, you're going through college, and college is not like a cakewalk, right? Maybe someone's like, college is easy. Okay, fine. But, like, for the rest of us, like, college wasn't easy. Or if you're in grad school, imagine if you're in law school right now. Like, you're in law school, and law school is difficult, and law school is overwhelming, and law school is stressful. But you know why you do law school? Because someday you get to be a lawyer. And you get to get paid like a lawyer, right? Like that's why you do it. Because on the other side of that suffering, there's something beautiful. Like school, college, grad school is not easy. But on the other side of that hard thing, if you don't grow weary, if you don't give up, there's a reward, there's a harvest for you. It's the same thing for working out, right? Like if you're like, I wanna run a marathon, I wanna be in shape, like that's not easy. But there's a reward on the other side of it for you. And here's what I'm convinced of, that hard seasons the hard seasons you and I go through, hard seasons are worth it for the harvest. This is what Paul is teaching here. The hardest seasons in your life, and that might include this one, are worth it for the harvest of righteousness that God wants to give to you. That's what God invites you into, this harvest of righteousness that God wants to give to you. So, so like, let me just encourage some of you right now who are weary, who want to give up, who want to kind of give in, who are just kind of getting overwhelmed and ground down by this season, just feel so overwhelmed. I want you to know this is a hard season, but there's a harvest coming, but only if you don't give up, only if you don't give in, only if you don't grow weary and throw in the towel. Well, like, again, for those of you in college, um, I, I know what college is like. Um, I don't know what your college is like, but I, I, I was there. Like, college, college changes, but, like, there's some constants, Right? Like college is full of people who think like the, the peak of life is having like seven beers and blacking out, right? Like, they're like, oh, yay, we're partying. And then my favorite question is always like, yeah, what are you celebrating? And they're like, I don't know, right? Like, like this is college, right? And the temptation in college is just to get sucked into that lifestyle of partying and drinking and sleeping around and just being a terrible, terrible person. That is the draw of college. And some of you are trying to follow Jesus and not get sucked into that vortex. Some of you are trying to follow Jesus and stay faithful, not because you're looking down on people who are doing that, but because God's called you higher to something different. You're trying to walk in that. And here's what I want to call you toward tonight. I know it's a hard season. I know it's a difficult season, but there's a harvest coming if you don't give up. Like college student, hear me. There is a harvest of righteousness for you if you do not give up. And you know why I know this? because I know hundreds of people who have gone through college, and I've talked to so many people, endless people, about their college experience. You know what I've never heard someone say? I have never heard a 25-year-old be like, I just wish I was blackout drunk more in college, right? I've just never heard someone say that. I've never heard someone look back and wish they had partied more. I've never heard a married man or woman be like, I wish I had slept around more in college. No one does this. And I'm calling you toward this because there's a harvest of righteousness, not because it's easy now, but because on the other side of something hard, there's a harvest and that harvest is worth it. I want to call you to that if you're in college, if you're working right now, maybe you're working in a cutthroat environment where you lie and manipulate and cheat and steal to get ahead of your colleagues and you're just trying to walk in the faithfulness to Jesus and yet you just feel this temptation to fudge the numbers or to cheat a little bit so you can get ahead. And I want to call you to to continue to be good, to continue to do the right thing. Not because it's easy, I know it's hard, but because there's a harvest on the other side. Because hear me, no one who succeeds in the long haul does so by cheating. Like it just doesn't happen. Like character takes you far greater places. Character takes you to a far more fruitful place than ability and skill and cheating and lying ever possibly will. Like I just want to call you toward doing the hard thing in whatever season you're in but like whatever season you're in whatever hard thing you're going through i want to continue to urge you and plead with you to do the right thing not because it's the right thing but because there is a harvest that is promised for you on the other side of this thing that's the promise of the scriptures like as a church right now like this is the wa- this is the way we've tried to walk in right like there are angry voices on all sides of us telling us everything we should do right Like like there are so many different people trying to tell us what to do and how to do it and how to operate. There are people who think we shouldn't be meeting out here. This is wrong, this is stupid, this is dangerous. You're a fool for getting so many people together. And then there are people like we should meet inside and we should defy everyone and we should do that. And we as a church have decided that for us right now, I'm not speaking to any other church right now, I'm just saying for us, we believe this is the call God has on our life, this tension, this weird spot we're in. And yet here's what I wanna say. Like, this is a hard season, and yet I just believe there's a harvest coming for Calvary Community Church. I believe there's a harvest coming for our ministry here. I believe there's a harvest coming where God blesses those who are willing to not grow weary and not give up in that time. And so I want to call you toward that. Listen, I don't know what your hard season is right now, but I want to call you to faithfulness, not just for the sake of the hard season, but for the harvest that's coming. It goes on this way in verse 10. It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who are in the family of believers. So here's this interesting verse where, where, where Paul goes, listen, I understand it's hard, but there's this harvest coming. So here's what you need to do. Um, you need to look for the opportunities. Remember, we said that in the beginning, you need to look for the opportunities. Like opportunity to do good is available, but only for people who look for it. He says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Like in other words, as a Christian, your goal, your mission, your aim is that you would do good for all people. That's not like a nice thing you can do. It is a command of God upon your life. But then he goes on to say this really interesting phrase, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. It's like, here's an interesting thought. You are actually called to love people who are in the church in a different and more profound way than you love everyone else in the world. That's the call of God on your life. You're not called to be like, ah, those church people. You are called to love the family of believers in a special way, in an intimate way, in a sacrificial kind of way. We're supposed to love everyone, but we're called to love the family of believers in a specific and a different kind of way. Like, here's the way I've always framed this. Like, I want to frame doing good, not in terms of actions I do, but in terms of the result of my life. It's not in terms of, I do a few random acts of kindness and feel better about myself. I, I try to assess whether or not my life is good by these questions. Here's the th- 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 three, three in total. Number one, um, is your household better because you're living there? Like your house, if you're living with your family, your roommates, your apartment, wherever you're living right now, is it better because you're living there? Like, is it more filled with peace? Is it more filled with love? Is it more filled with joy? Like, is your house better because you're living there? Or are you just living with your parents and you're just bitter and angry all the time because you wish you were at college or or you're living with your roommates, but you're really just resentful because you wanna be living somewhere else? Is your house better or are you just living there? Like, like, is your household blessed to have you or have you become a burden to them? Is your household better because you're living there? Here's the next question. um, Is this church better because you come here? Like, is this church better? Did you just roll in and and hear a sermon and sing some songs and leave and and no one's ever the wiser that you are here? Or, Or have you decided that you're gonna actually make this place better? You're gonna serve. You're gonna give. You're gonna pray and fast for this church. Maybe you're going to bring someone to church. Like, have you actually made this church better? This is what he's talking about. See the opportunity, do good for all people, but especially those in the household of believers. We should constantly be asking ourselves Is this church better because I'm here? Or am I just taking up space? Am I just here being here, absorbing, getting stuff from it, and not contributing anything to it? Uh, and then here's the final question Is this community better because you're a resident? Like, is your street better? Like maybe it even starts with this question: Do you know your neighbors' names? <laughs> You're like, ah, uh, no. Uh, okay, maybe maybe start there. Like, do do you know their names? Do you love them? Do you care for them? Is this community better because you exist in it, or are you just here, kind of living? Like, is this community better because you live here? And, and here's the questions that you're wrestling with as an individual. Like, like Paul calls us, we're gonna do good to all people, but especially the family of believers. But I need you to know, this isn't just like an individual question you ask. This is a question our church has always had to ask. Look, like, let me frame it for you this way. Is the Conejo Valley better because of Calvary Community Church? This is a question we've had to ask. Like, is this valley a better place because of Calvary Community Church? Is Southern California, is Westlake Village, whatever parameter you want to put on it, is it better because of Calvary Community Church? And this has been a question our church and every church has to wrestle with, and we've wrestled with it as a church since 1976. Like, is this community better because we're here, because of what we're doing? And we have tried to answer that question in the affirmative. And we have tried to say, you know what, we believe it is better because we proclaim the gospel and serve the poor and love children with special needs. And we care for kids and teenagers and single moms. We teach the Bible. We counsel the wounded. We visit the sick. We try to be a church that says, wow, this community is better because we're here. And that's not a nice thing to do. That's not like us just trying to be like a good presence. That's us walking in obedience to the commands of God in Scripture. But here's what I need you to know. Um, Calvary has always tried to answer this question, but in the last nine years, we've asked it in a kind of a different way. And here's what we've done in the last nine years, really since the fall of 2011, what we've done since the fall of 2011, we have attempted to be a church that is living out a vision that we believe God gave our leadership, God gave our elders, our senior leadership here, and that we've been living into this. And that, that vision that we've been trying to live out has been a vision called Calvary 2020. Um, and some of you who have been here for a while know about Calvary 2020, you've heard of Calvary 2020, it's sort of what do we want our church to look like by the year 2020, and like here we are, 2020, we've made it to this year, this is, a, this is nine years ago, in the fall of 2011 we launched this vision, we said what do we want Calvary to look like, and we laid out a bunch of things, but here's what we said, we want Calvary to be a place where people live in love like Jesus. We want Calvary to be a church that lives in love like Jesus. We want the people who come to be disciples who are learning, being trained to live and love like Jesus. And we tried to answer the question, this is nine years ago, how are we going to do that? And our answer for that was simple. Here's Calvary 2020. We want people to love God more. We want them to love people more. And we want them to love more people Love God more means we want you to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. We want you to worship him and adore him and love Jesus Christ and have an intimate relationship with your creator, the God of the universe. We want to love people more. When we say love people more, what we're trying to indicate is that you would love each other more, that you would love the people of God more, that you would love the family of God more, that you would see people at this church that you don't even know their names, but you have an affection for them because they're brothers and sisters in Christ. And then finally, that we would love more people that we'd be a church that's like intentionally reaching out to the world, loving and serving our community, serving the poor, inviting people to know Jesus, that we would love more people. And here's what we said back in the fall of 2011. This is nine years ago. We we said, if we do those three things, if we love God more, if we love people more, if we love more people, here's what we believe is going to happen. We believe um, that there are going to be some outcomes from that. And so here's what we said. There are gonna be these three outcomes that we expect, three things. We're not saying goals. This isn't what we're aiming for. It's just what we believe God will bring to pass. What we said, if we do this, we believe for three outcomes. And here's what we believed. Number one, what our first outcome was that we would actively engage 20% of the Conejo Valley. So the greater Conejo Valley, basically Malibu all the way to Moorpark, Camarillo to Calabasas, like this area that we do church in, um, there are about 250,000 people that live in this area. And so our aim, our desire, our dream is if we're being the church God has called us to be, that we would reach 20% of that. And some of you are doing the math here. That's 50,000 people. Now listen, the goal wasn't 50,000 people come each week into Calvary. There's no way we could do that, right? But the goal was through our ministries, through the way we serve, through the way we bring people on campus and do funerals and reach people in their homes and do all of that, our goal is to reach 50,000 people a year, to serve them, to engage them, to actively engage them with the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And here's what we understand. We've been tracking these metrics, trying to figure out, okay, are we actually living into the call Jesus has for us? Here's our best understanding, and this is kind of pre-COVID, COVID's thrown everything up in the air, but here's our best understanding of that, uh, is that each year we are reaching a 50 to 60,000 people here in the Keneha Valley. That's what we've been about as a church. Actively engaging 50 to 60,000 people here in the Keneha Valley. That's what we've been working toward. That's what we've been moving on. That's what God's been doing in Calvary 2020. Here's the second outcome. It's that each person at Calvary would individually reach 20 people with the good news of Jesus. Like that you and you and you and you, every one of us would actively share about Jesus. And I don't mean like buy someone a muffin and be like, Hey, Like, that's not sharing Jesus, right? Like, at some point, the word Jesus needs to come out of your mouth or you haven't shared about Jesus. And the goal was everyone would share with 20 people about Jesus. And here's the truth. Let me just gonna be honest with you. We have no idea if this happened. We don't have, like, a cool metric. We don't have, like, a cool, like, this happened or didn't. We just don't know because this is in your own lives. And, but here's a challenge. Um, some of you haven't been Christians for nine years, but, but some of you have here's my question for you. In the last nine years, seriously, at some point, just go make a list. Not for your own pride, not to show me, not to show off, but so you can just ask, in the last nine years, how many times have you talked to someone about Jesus? Like, how many times have the words Jesus been on your lips as you shared with someone uh, about how they can be right with God? And that's how we've dreamed of being. We want to be this church where it's not just like the pastor gets up and gives a sermon and talks about Jesus, and you all go and say nothing about him for the rest of the week. Like we want to be a church where people talk about Jesus. So that was the second outcome. And here's the third outcome. The third outcome is that we as a church would give away 20% of the offerings that come into this church. Now, now let me frame this for you because some of you have no context for church and money and how this works at all. So, so here's kind of how this works. Um, you may think 20% is really high. You may think it's low. If you think it's low, here, here's what happens. Um, the other 80% isn't like in a vault back there, okay? It's not like we have like a Scrooge McDuck vault of money, right? That's not how this works. And if you think like the other 80% goes to making staff rich, please speak to any staff member here, all right? Or just go look at our cars, right? Like we are not rich, all right? Like this is not, if, if you think people get into ministry to become rich. You don't know people in ministry, right? Like that's not how it works. It pays for ministry. It pays for programming. It pays for stages and lights and electricity and Bibles and all of the things we do around here. So here was the goal. 20% of our offerings is what we want to try to give away. Now here's the framework for that. Um, most churches in America give away four to five, maybe six percent of their offerings to global missions, the poor, people who need help, people who need food, getting the gospel to unreached people groups, four to five, maybe 6%. That's what the average church does. In 2011, when we launched this, we were giving away 9%. So we were a little above the average, but nowhere near 20%. We need to over double how much we were giving away. And so here's just kind of how I want to update you on what happens, because some of you don't know what happens with the money here. And I want to try to at least give you this perspective here. So here's what happened. We started working our way up to 20% where we were at 9%, then we went up to 12%, then 14%, 15%, 18%. This last year, we finally hit that goal, that outcome God had for us of giving away 20% of what came into Calvary. So in this past year, here's the number uh, of how much money we gave away here at Calvary. We gave away $2,229,000. That's how much money went out from Calvary to serve the people of the world, unreached people groups, feeding people, clothing people, um, giving to the least of these, doing everything we can to serve our community. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Thanks for that. I, th- I think that's awesome. I, I, I really do. And, and I think it's remarkable um, to see the kind of impact that can be made because, listen, um, no one here gave $2 million, right? No one here gave a million dollars. It's like all of these people who is God's, God has called together, giving generously together um, that God's people might be served and that God's people might bring the gospel to the nations. But, but, but here's the crazier number for me. So this last year was that um, it, oh, since 2012, really January 1st, 2012, when we really launched this thing, um, Calvary has given away $12,809,804 to the work of missions and serving the poor. Yeah. And... And, and again, I share this with you because I want you to understand that, that when this church sees that we're supposed to do good to everyone, but especially to the family of believers, there's actually like a purpose and a mission for our life. I want you to understand that the, we take it seriously. We take these outcomes seriously. When I say fifty to 60,000 people that we engage, here's what we're doing. We're like sowing gospel seeds into our community and believing that Jesus is going to do a great thing in this. When I say our church is giving away millions of dollars for the sake of the gospel, it's us sowing into the world and believing God's going to do something spectacular with what we give away. This is what we're called to do, to look for these opportunities to do good, to sow good into our life and good into our community and good into our world. That is what we're called to do. So so I I share about Calvary 2020, and, and here's what here's what happened. Uh, We got into the year 2020, and our plan was this fall, actually starting next week, so next Thursday, the plan was to roll out a new vision, Calvary 2030, okay? That was the goal. Like, what's going to happen in the next 10 years here at this church? And then the pandemic thing hit, okay? Um, And everything got messy, and everything got weird, and we're kind of in this footing where no one knows what's going on, and no one can even see five minutes into the future, so let's hold back right now. Let's not try to plan for a future we can't see clearly through the fog. Let's just plan for right now. And so here's what we've decided to do next fall, a year from now, we're gonna roll out a vision. Here at Young Adults, you'll hear it first. You'll hear it in the worship center. You'll hear it across the church for what Calvary 2030 is gonna look like. Next year, you're gonna hear that in the fall, a year from now. And what's gonna happen between now and next year? Here's the language we're using. Here's what's gonna be happening at Calvary. Here's what Calvary is gonna be all about. If you ever wonder what's Calvary all about, here's your answer tonight. Here's what we're gonna be doing in this next year. We're gonna be taking what we call a gap year at Calvary. A gap year. Now, when I say gap year, hopefully most of you get the reference of what I'm talking about. The gap year is like I'm coming out of high school and I'm going into college. But rather than come out of high school and go into college, I'm going to spend a year doing something. Now, this is about to get very personal for some of you, okay? Some people, when they do a gap year, the gap year means they will wander aimlessly for one year, for 12 months, right? And we've all met those people. And you might be that person, right? Where you're like, I'm going to take a gap year. And what it really meant was, I'm going to play video games and sleep in a lot, right? Like there's this kind of like aimless gap year. And then you ever met someone who's on a gap like decade, right? And, sorry, this is getting personal. But like, like, like there's this kind of like wandering aimlessness where it's like I'm taking a break from school, but I don't have a plan. But then I've also met people who take a gap year and they're intentional with it. They go to YWAM. They go up to Hume Lake and do the Joshua program. They travel the world. They study something. They prepare for something. They do something intentional with that gap year. And here's what I want you to know. Calvary has every intention of executing a gap year where we are intentional in doing good to this community, doing good to this world, and doing everything we can to be faithful to the gospel in this time and season. So here's what I want you to see. I wanna share with you exactly what we're planning on doing in this next year. There's two initiatives, there's five behaviors, that's it. Two initiatives that we're gonna do. First initiative is this. Um, We're going to be doing ministry to kids. Uh, You've heard about, we talked about this Camp Boost thing uh, that we're doing, uh, where we're gonna be bringing kids on campus and allowing them a space to study and be out of their homes. Here's why we're doing this. Because some of the most vulnerable people right now in the world, uh, outside of those who are medically vulnerable with a condition, are those who are kids. They're stuck in their house, they're not developing, they're not around other kids, they're not able to be out. There's kids who are vulnerable, there's kids who are in abusive environments, there's kids who need to be under the care of loving adults. And we're gonna care for the most vulnerable by bringing kids onto this campus. Starting this next week, you're gonna see kids on this campus with little plexiglass dividers and little spaces for them to do work and tutors who are helping them. And if you wanna get involved in that, you can, because that's what we're gonna be doing here. It's a new initiative, we've never done it before, but we see this opportunity to serve kids and serve families and serve parents who are tearing their hair out by bringing kids on campus. What are we going to be doing this next year? We're going to serve the most vulnerable and kids. But then I want to tell you the other most vulnerable group. Like if the most vulnerable group is kids, the other most vulnerable group is the individuals, some of whom have not left their house since mid-March. And that's senior citizens, older adults. That's some of your grandparents who haven't left their home, who are terrified to go to the grocery store who are terrified to go out because they might get COVID and their situation makes it so much more serious than it is for any of you. Those people we care about those people. So what are we doing? We're amping up. We're hiring someone to love seniors, to be with seniors. We're building a team right now to love and care for senior citizens. How are we going to do that? I don't know. We're going to show up at their houses. We've talked with them through screen doors. We're trying to love them, deliver food for them, love them, care for them, meet needs for them because they're the most vulnerable among us. What does Calvary want to do? We want to seize the opportunity. Why? Kids, there's an opportunity to serve them. We're going to do that. And older adults right now who need something, the most vulnerable people, Calvary is going to step in this next year. Uh, And listen, you can be a part of that. There are going to be opportunities that come up for you to serve in those ministries, be a part of those ministries, participate, volunteer, give to those ministries, do all sorts of things. So those are the two initiatives we're going to be doing. Uh, And then I want to share with you five behaviors. When I say behaviors, I just mean five things we're going to do, okay? Five things that this year is going to be about. And you will see this most pronounced in YA, but it'll be everywhere we do. Okay, five things we're going to do. Number one, online ministry. If you're listening online right now, we are committed to continuing to do online ministry. If you cannot come yet, we are committed to continuing to live stream services so that you can be encouraged and blessed and worship with us. We're going to be posting content online. We're going to be pushing out opportunities online for those who cannot join us here. Number one, online ministry. Number two is on-campus ministry. You're here tonight, we're doing this on campus until like literally there is no other way, we will continue to do this on campus. Next week there's construction here, so what are we gonna do? We're gonna go right there, right? Like we're gonna do this, we're gonna be on campus, we're on campus for small groups, we're on campus for workspace, we're gonna create other environments where you can be on campus in a safe way. We are so committed to doing everything that is possible this year to bring people on campus, to bring people together, because we believe that is a powerful part of biblical community. We're gonna do online ministry, we're gonna do on campus ministry, we're going to continue to focus on prayer. Listen, if you want to pray with us, 6 p.m. every Thursday night, we're here. Come pray with us. If you want to be, this to be a church that focuses on prayer, 6 p.m. every Thursday night, come. We have a whole prayer sheet for you. We invite you to pray with us this year. Number four, personal connection. We believe that there are people who need someone to just come bless them, hang out with them, serve them, show up at their house, love them, care for them. We're going to be having opportunities for that, and as we do, we'll announce that to you. And then the fifth thing is this, pastoral care. Fifth thing is pastoral care. Uh, We're gonna care for people who are hurting. We're gonna care for people who are in crisis. Do, Do you know that already at this point, and this is such a tragic thing, that there are over 35 families who have lost a loved one in our church who haven't been able to do a funeral yet? And they've just been waiting. And so we're just trying to serve them and minister to them, maybe figure out a way that they can. Like we're just doing everything we can to serve those who are hurting most in this season. These are the behaviors that Calvary is up to right now. here's what I want to do. I want to invite you into those. I want to invite you into being on campus, to being online, to praying for people, to doing personal connection, not just as we do it, but like reaching out to people who you know need help, of serving them, of caring for them pastorally, of praying for people, of being with people in their hurt. That's what this next year looks like. And if you're in on this, here's what I want to invite you to. I want to try to answer this question as we close here. What's my role? What's my role in all this? Here's what it is. Um, I'll do this real quick. See the vision, seize the opportunity, sow the seeds, serve the family. Um, that's what your invitation is, to do those things this year, to see the vision of what we're doing, to see the opportunities before us, to sow the seeds of good things into our church and into your life and into this community, and then finally um, is to serve the family, to serve the family of God. Um, The scriptures tell us this command that we've been working off all night is that we would see the opportunity to do good for all people, but especially to the family of God. And I want us to be a place this fall that serves and loves the family of God. And tonight we actually get an amazing opportunity to think about God's family. Because here's the truth of God's family. The truth of God's family is that God makes you his son. He makes you his daughter through the blood of his son, Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross to make you a child of God. We sing it. You rescued me so I could stand and sing. I am a child of God. God rescues us. We become his child. And here's the marvelous thing about Jesus. Jesus gave us an act. Jesus gave us something we could do that welcomes people into the family of God. And here's what it is. It's that baptism is a symbol of belonging to the family of God. That's what baptism is. Baptism is not what saves you. Okay, we're gonna dunk people in water tonight. I need you to know this isn't holy water, all right? This is like hose water, okay? Like we we pulled out a hose, filled it up, and tried to heat it up as best we can. This is not holy water. Doesn't save you, doesn't make you right with God. You going under the water isn't like, wow, something happened. No, it's a symbol. But it's a symbol of something profound that's happened. It's a symbol of a profound thing that's happened on the inside. So don't you minimize baptism. That might not be holy water, but there is a holy God who has made you holy through the blood of his son. That's what baptism is. And so tonight when we celebrate baptism, we, we believe that God has already saved the people who are going into the water tonight. This doesn't save you. It doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't wash away your sins. It shows that God has already washed away your sins and you're his child forevermore. That's what we celebrate when we go toward baptism tonight. So what's gonna happen in a few minutes is we're gonna have people who are getting baptized. They're gonna go up to the water. They're gonna go into the water uh, and Sarah is gonna be reading their story uh, and Pastor Brian Williams is going to be baptizing them tonight. He'll have a mask and a little face shield on. We're trying to be COVID compliant, okay? Doing everything we can to make sure they're healthy and safe here. Uh, We understand the water doesn't transmit this so we're, we're very comfortable. We've done temperature checks the whole bit. All right, listen, we're gonna go do that. And as we do that, here's what I need you to know. This is like the adoption ceremony of someone into the family of God, okay? They have already been brought into the family of God. But listen to me, like when someone gets to come into the family, when we declare them a child of God, part of the family and welcome them in, there's no golf claps, okay? There's no like, yay. All right, we go wild. We go crazy because God has saved a sinner who is worthy of hell and he's rescued them from the pit and said, you are part of the family. And this is the invitation when we move toward baptism. (laughs) But like, listen... The people who get baptized tonight are not baptized into a faith on their own. They're baptized into a family. The family of God, represented by us. Sinners saved by God's grace. So tonight as we celebrate, tonight as we lift up the name of Jesus, tonight as we worship, I want us to remember that baptism is a symbol. It is a signpost. It is pointing toward the reality that we have been welcomed into the family of God. And so here's what we're gonna do. Sarah's gonna make her way up. Sarah's gonna be reading the names and the stories of people who have been baptized tonight. Uh, And then people are gonna go into the tank. Uh, Brian's gonna have a face mask on, so he won't have a mic or anything. But when he gets baptized and he go into the water, we're gonna recognize, as the scriptures do, that they are dead to Christ. And so we're gonna say it out loud on three. Say that, dead to Christ or dead to christ Ah, dead to sin one two three dead to sin and and then we're going to recognize that they are alive in christ wow wow a low moment but listen you know it's kind of interesting like every single sinner in the world is dead to christ they're not alive in Christ, they're dead to their sins, they're dead to the things of God, and yet God's Holy Spirit just miraculously saves us, and so we are dead to our sin, but then God says we are alive in Christ, and so on three, would you say those words with me, alive in Christ, one, two, three, alive in Christ. So we're gonna celebrate, again, no golf claps here in the kingdom of God, no golf claps here in God's people, we're gonna celebrate, we're gonna be riotous because God has saved a sinner into his family, and in our family we celebrate, in our family we lift it up, in our family we look for opportunities to do good, to serve one another, to encourage one another and to lift up the name of Jesus. So Sarah, take us.